Well, good morning. We're in a crash course in chemistry. Uh, I'm going to have a stand and pray in just a second. Before I do that, I want to say two quick things. Number one, uh, we've been gone for two weeks, and I've heard nothing but great things. The whole team, Jonathan preached one Sunday, Tom preached another Sunday. It is so refreshing and peaceful to be able to go away and the church does real well without me. It's just wonderful. So to Jonathan and Tom and the entire team, would you thank them? Just a super job, super job. And then second of all, um, this is a crash course in chemistry on relationships. I just want to make a a little course correction and maybe you're thinking. Because old school sermons on relationships when it didn't apply to you, you could like check out, okay? Like if you're, how many of you in the room are married? How many in the room are married? Okay. How many in the room are not married? Okay. How many in the room are married, but you don't want to be married? No, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> but, but see, when it doesn't apply to you, in the old school, we could like, like check out. That's not what this ser- series is about. This series is about you giving biblical information on all relationships, So if you're married, there's a lot that the scriptures say about singles that you're going to give information for. If you're single, you still got family, friends, nieces, nephews, cousins. You got coworkers who are thinking about getting married. This is God's word. This is God's truth. So this is a series that we're all going to learn how to give biblical information on all forms of relationships. Okay? All right, stand up. You need prayer. You need prayer. Let's, Let's stand up. Father, we love you so much, and we're glad to be here. We're honored to worship you. We really are. It is a privilege for us to be here. Now, help us today to learn the truth about marriage, and help us to learn today what you, in your great book, your Bible, say about this. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. All right, be seated. We're going to start right off the bat with Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, and here's what it says. We're going to read this out loud together. Are you ready? Here we go. Let's go. For this reason, a man will leave father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. Now, we usually focus on the first part of the verse. I want you to focus on the last five words. Ready? This is a profound mystery. If you've been married you know it's a profound mystery. (laughs) Profound is a great word. You know if you've not been married, you've watched somebody, you've watched your parents, you still know, even if you've never been married, you never want to be married, you still get the fact it's a... It truly is. How in the world does a man and a woman from two different backgrounds... Maybe she was raised, educated home. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he grew up in a wealthy home. She did not. Any, any Baptists in the room marry some Catholics? Anybody? We had, okay. Are you, st- are you still married? Uh, uh, we had some in first service as well. I mean, how do people, any Jewish people marry Methodists in the room? Any Jewish people marry Methodists? How does that work? And so you all get this. So you go to a wedding, now fess up, tell me if you've done this. You go to a wedding, you walk out, and you think to yourself, they're not going to make it. (laughs) Have you ever done that? Okay, we've already had communion, tell the truth. We've all done that. 
And we've also, you know, and they're, and they're celebrating their 20th anniversary. And we've also like walked out of a wedding and go, gosh, that's a marriage made in heaven. They're going to live a long, and they don't make it 33 months, right? And so it, Paul says it's a profound mystery, but it's also a profound mystery. It can be in a negative way. You've been married two or three times, and, and you keep repeating the same mistakes, or, or you keep calling the same men, or, or calling the same women, or, or dating the same women. And so you go like, I guess, gosh, what's not working here? Something's not working in this relationship. I had a coworker in Memphis, and, and I found out once during lunch, one time during lunch, she'd been married four times. And I said to her, I said, I called her by name, and I said, are you happy now? Did you get it right this fourth time? And she said, not, not really. And my heart just went out to her. I didn't know what to say. I thought she'd say, yeah, the fourth time was a charm. No, not, not, not really. Paul says this is a profound mystery. So what advice do we give to people about marriage? And where do we get it from? Wife swap, you know, housewives of Beverly Hills or Atlanta or how I met your mother. Where do we get the information from? I think we should get it from the scriptures. And so the Bible talks a lot about this. So first question is, are marriages like made in heaven? Well, one was, it didn't go so well either, did it? It didn't last too long. Well, if we're in love, it really shouldn't be hard, should it? It shouldn't be this hard. I don't know. I think about everything that we do in life that's really good is hard. You ask some of the raised baseball players, is it hard to hit a 95-mile-an-hour fastball? Of course it's hard, and only a few people can do it. I, I think, you know, to write a novel would be really, really hard. To, to become a surgeon would become really, really hard. Probably the greatest things in life are, so, so why wouldn't love be hard? Why wouldn't a relationship, a profound mystery, be, be a, I, I think it is. Third question I want to raise this morning is, is there a secret? Is there like some secret to marriage? I think there is. I'm going to surprise you on that. I think there is absolutely a secret within the scriptures about marriage. And if and when you discover that secret, your marriage will never be the same or or your relationship will never be the same. And if you don't discover the secret, your marriage probably won't be as good as it could be. And so the scriptures are very, very clear about a secret. Now, let's just back up and start in the book of Genesis. And the book of Genesis really talks about how we're all wired, that we were really all wired for marriage. Now, it doesn't mean that we all need to get married. It doesn't mean we all need to be married to be happy. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talks about some reasons why you might not marry. But Genesis chapter 2 says we all have the capacity for marriage. So let's look at some verses first out of Genesis chapter 2. Here we go. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Okay? And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now you remember there were two trees in the garden. One was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and one was the tree of, tree of life. 
and they really represent the law and Christ. Right off the bat, we see the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is going to represent the law, which nobody could fulfill, and the tree of life really represents Christ, which only Christ could fulfill. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but when you eat of it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone. Now, I always think this is kind of funny because he never says this to women. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> and statistics prove that single men die sooner than single women. However, single women live longer than married women. What does that say? <laughs> huh? Hello, make, come up with your own conclusions. I'm not going to touch that. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper. We could, do, we could do series on all these different words. A suitable helper for him. Verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. So we get the picture that Adam's on a stump. And all of a sudden, something comes by and he says, dog. And something comes by and he says, cat. And something comes by and he says, cheetah. And something comes by and he says, giraffe. We, we, we get the picture that Adam is actually out there somewhere and he's naming all the animals as they pass by him. So he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that's what his name was. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals but for Adam, you see what God's doing? But for Adam, no suitable helper. God has so strategic. He's got all these animals, the hippopotamuses, the rhinoceros, and Adam's going, this isn't very attractive. What's up with this? I mean, God was strategic. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Verse 21, so the Lord God, this is kind of like the very first anesthesia, if you will, caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then he closed up the place with the flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Oh, I love the Hebrew translation. The Hebrew translation says, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. But you know what I really think Adam said? Oh, baby, where you been all my life? This is like too good to be true. And, and, and Adam and Eve had a marriage made in heaven. And all is good in chapter 2. If we could have just closed out the chapter of the story right there, we'd all lived happily ever after. But here comes chapter 3. In chapter 3, it was it eight minutes? Was it eight days? Was it eight years? We don't know. But look at what happened in chapter 3. So Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She was deceived. She took the fruit. She ate it. And she also gave it to Adam. He ate it. And now they're going to hide. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So there are multiple trees there. But the Lord God called to the man, where, where are you? Now, does anybody think God lost his Adam? I mean, there weren't that many people to keep up with at this point, right? Where, where are you? Look at verse 10. Well, I heard you, and I was afraid because we didn't have any clothes on, so 
we hid. Verse 11, and God said, well, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Well, the man said, well, uh, uh, that, that woman you put here with me. I mean, what a chicken, right? I mean, man up, Adam, for goodness sakes. The woman you put here with me, that's a whole sermon series too. We got all kind of problems because we lied, we stole, we cheated, we betrayed, but we don't want to come clean. And until you come clean, you won't get better. It's a whole series on that. The woman you put here with me, here, here we start the blame game, don't we? She gave me some fruit from the tree, and you know, I, did, I just had to eat it. I mean, I had no choice, right? Look at the next verse. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Drop down to verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. How many of you women in the room given birth? How many of you women gave birth and you were awake? I mean, you weren't sedated? Is he right? Huh? I made the mistake at one time. Somebody asked me one time, how was labor with Eric, our firstborn? I said, it wasn't all that bad. <laughs> and he said, excuse me? I said that one time, guys. If you're not married, just take, don't, don't do that, all right? I will make your pains in childbirth very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to your, to your children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And drop down to verse 17. To Adam, because you listened to your wife and you ate the fruit from the tree, which I command you not to eat from, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It's work, labor, guys. Work is hard. You want to know why now everybody doesn't cooperate with your deal? You want to know why everybody doesn't get along with you and work? And It's hard. It's labor. He predicted it. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. I'm telling you, it's not been easy, hasn't been easy, won't be easy. What's, what's the secret? What's the secret to a great marriage? Well, I want to read for you two quick stories, and neither one of these are the secret, okay? She said Jeff was tall and handsome, the kind of mate Sue had always pictured in mind in her mind. He was talkative, and she was shy and quiet. So she loved how he took the lead in social gatherings and directed the conversations. Sue was also decisive and future-oriented, while Jeff tended to live in the present. Their differences seemed to complement each other perfectly. Secretly, Sue was shocked someone this good-looking would fall for her, while Jeff, who many women found to be too unambitious, was glad to find a girl who was so adoring. But just a year, the music changes. Just a year after getting married, however, Jeff's talkativeness looked to Sue like self-absorption and an inability to listen. His lack of career orientation was a bitter disappointment to her. Meanwhile, Sue's quietness looked to Jeff like a lack of transparency, and her soft-spoken shyness masked what he now saw to be a domineering personality. The marriage quickly spiraled down and ended in a speedy divorce. That's not the secret, is it? Well, here's another story. One woman explained that she had married her husband because I thought he was hot, she said. You know, Danita has never said that to me. <laughs> Just occurred to me. But to her distress, he put on weight and stopped caring about his appearance. 
the honeymoon was over, and the main way she knew was sex. She made it a rule not to have sex unless she really wanted to, but she seldom wanted to. We'd settle into a a routine. We only did this once or twice a week, maybe less. There was no variety, no real mental or emotional rewards. There were none none of the urgency or attention that makes it so great, the sense of wanting to impress or to entice someone. In her view, sexual attraction and chemistry were foundational requirements to finding someone compatible. They, too, ended in divorce. What's, what's the secret? Well, the, the secret is not to blame each other, as Adam and Eve did, right? The, the secret is really not trying to change your spouse. Those of you that have been married 10 years or older, have you ever really changed your spouse? Has anybody like, ever been able to accomplish like great changes? No, no nobody does that. The secret is not to try to control your spouse. How, how does that lead to intimacy or connection? It doesn't. Trying to control the other person will lead to emotional distance. How about demanding? I demand. I, I, you, I deserve this. You, you owe this to me. I, I'm a, does any of that work in, in a marriage relationship? If it is, you need to be up here teaching because it doesn't work in the last 33 years in my ministry in the last 29 years even of, of my own marriage. So, so what's, what's the secret? Well, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5 and look at verse 31. Here's what he said. He said, for this reason, and what Paul is doing, he's just quoting Moses out of Genesis. For this reason, a man will leave father and mother, be united to his wife, the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But... I'm talking about Christ and the church. I, I, I don't get that. How in the world does he tie in Christ and the church? We're talking about marriage. We're talking about passion. We're talking about romance. What is Christ and the church, God? Christ and the church is the secret. If you get this secret, you will get the answer that you're looking for with relationships. So here's what happened. Christ was God. He and the Father and the Son had perfect fellowship, but Christ comes down into the womb of a virgin by the name of Mary, and he's born, and he's a toddler, and he goes through adolescence and puberty, and he goes through high school, and then Christ runs the family business. We never really think about this. Joseph's probably dead, but Christ is running a furniture company. He's got calluses. He's got sweat. He's got splinters. He's got blisters. Christ has got complainers. Hey, the bed's too short. Hey, there's a crack in the chair. We asked for six chairs. You gave us five. Can you imagine running the furniture business there in that community? And all of a sudden, Christ is with the sweat and the turmoil of humanity. And then for three and a half years, he goes around preaching and teaching and performing different miracles. And then he is arrested illegally. He goes to an illegal trial, he is flogged, he is crucified, and he is buried in a tomb. The God of the universe, who controls the entire universe just by the power of his word, is now in a tomb for three days. And he rises from the dead. It's a profound mystery, Paul says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. You know when Jesus did that? He did that when the church was killing him. He did that when the church was unlovable. He did that when the church was not very glamorous. He did that when the church was not beautiful at all. Paul says, I'll give you an example of marriage. 
Marriage is all about what Christ did. He loved the bride. He was able to honor. He was able to serve, even though the church was killing him. I'm not saying marriage should kill you. You think about this. That's the secret. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, tells a husband what to do. It says, husband, husbands, love your wives. I want you to say it with me out loud. Husbands, love your wives. Now, the wife also has a, has a responsibility. You want to know the secret? That's the secret, husbands. You want know the secret, wives? Here it is. The wife must respect her husband. Ephesians 5, 33. All right, AJ and Jennifer, come up here if you would. Had a couple in first service. Got a couple in second service, and I got a couple in third service. And all these are weddings that we've done in the month, I think, of May. We do lots of weddings. Tom Goodlett does some. Griffin does some. Jonathan does some. And I do about a gazillion. And I wouldn't exaggerate because I'm the preacher. So this is AJ and Jennifer Moore. Uh, first of all, are you still married? All right, good. Go. We can use this illustration. And, yeah, awesome. That's awesome. Well, wait a minute. What's the date? May 10th. Yeah, May 10th. They just got married May the 10th, all right? So just, just a couple months ago. All right, so here's what I want to do. Come out up here in the light if you guys would. All right, stand there and face everybody. You all want to speak or anything? I promised them they wouldn't have to say a word, okay? All right, so what did Paul say? Paul said, husband, love your wife. What did Paul say? Wife, what? Respect. Now, here's what's so fascinating about this. Everybody agrees, Christian, non-Christian, psychologist, psychiatrist, everybody agrees that a woman's number one need is love. And everybody agrees, Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter who they are, everybody agrees that a man's number one need is respect. Now, it's not that the man doesn't want to be loved, but if he has to choose between love and respect, he takes respect every time. It's not that she doesn't want to be respected, but if she has to choose between love and respect, she takes love 100% of the time. Now, what does Paul do? This is the secret. This is the profound mystery. Paul tells AJ to do that which doesn't come natural for him. And he tells Jennifer to do that which does not, it's not her first need. And so he's asking you, AJ, to do that which is her number one need. And Jennifer, he's asking, and I tell everybody this at the wedding, didn't I? I told you this in front of all the people, okay? Did you listen to me? All right, good. <laughs> I, told, I told Jennifer, Jennifer, if you want to have a great marriage, you must show respect toward him. Now, now this is the secret. If you get into marriage for what you're going to get out of marriage, pretty soon you're going to be out of marriage. I'm going to say that again. If you get into marriage for what you can get out of marriage, pretty soon you're going to be out of that relationship. So AJ, God's spirit inside of you is saying to you, I want you to love her. Now, she looks sweet and kind, and she is. But will there be moments... In a relationship, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? I don't even have to finish my sentence, okay? For those of you that are not married, all right, you're 15, will there be moments where he doesn't feel like loving her? What's the answer to that? Okay? And, and, and now he looks great and respectful, and, but will there be moments, 
in the next 50 years of their marriage where she doesn't feel like respecting him? What's the answer to that? The answer is yes. Okay. Now, hang on now. Hang on. We're going to have to have some counseling after church. I, I feel I didn't realize that was going to happen. So, so here's the deal. They've been married since May the 10th. But guess what? Guess what? If they will every day, if he will love his bride. See, it's, it's, the, it's the connection between Christ and the church. Christ loved the church. Christ loved his bride. Christ sacrificed. Christ paid the price. Christ went all the way because he loved the bride. And that's what we do. We love the bride. And what does the bride do? The bride respects. The bride shows respect. She demonstrates. She communicates respect. All right, thank you guys so much. Thank you guys. All right. So, so how does this incredibly wonderful couple, by the way, had a great time at this wedding. I'm going to tell you how they honored their parents even during the, the rehearsal dinner. And during the rehearsal dinner, it's kind of funny, they're opening gifts, and a whole great big thing of wrapping paper got over a candle. And all of a sudden, we have an incendiary fellowship going on <laughs> at that table. And I actually put the fire, it was kind of, kind of exciting, it was kind of a Exciting moment. Anyway, um, how do they get from here to, to there? How do they get to there? Now, on the right, that's my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. And this past July 4th, they just celebrated 56 years. How do, how do they get there? How do AJ and Jennifer, how, how do they get to 56 years? And on the left right there is my mom and my dad. And uh, we were, we did, I did a wedding a few weeks ago. My mom and dad were there. And they had all of us come out on the dance floor, all the married couples. If you've been married five years or, or, or more, uh, you got to stay on the dance floor. So five years and less, they went and sat down. Ten years and less, sat down. Fifty-five years, everybody sat down except my mom and dad. This February, it'll be 60 years that my mom and dad will have been married. Now, if you know... It's, it's amazing. Now, how did these couples do it? Oh, easy lives, no problems, no pressure, work went great, lots of money, lots of romance, no, no stress, right? If you knew their stories, if you, knew, if you had time to hear their stories, you see, it's not about what you can get out of marriage. My, my in-laws on the right, He's been in the ministry and some tough churches and some really brutal situations. And, and, and my mother-in-law and father, they lost their eldest son just a few years ago, Danita's oldest brother. My mom and dad lost a child early in pregnancy, you know, years ago. They, they don't even talk about it. So, so it's not like there's an absence of pain and problem in people's lives. But it's a matter of fact where a husband, and I know these guys, both of these guys, I know them actually very, very well, love these women. And these women show amazing respect to their two husbands. It's a great story. So love, 1 Corinthians 13 says this, love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, doesn't isn't proud, doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, 
is not easily angered. Love it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. And love always protects. And love always trusts. And love always hopes. And it always perseveres. Love never, never fails.